0: Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. Archbishop Carlo Maria Viganò has released an impassioned letter to the priests and bishops of the church about the suppression of the Latin Mass. It comes at a time when we have some unfortunate news out of Chicago. First. The canon regulars of St. John Cantius released a short statement declaring that they would submit fully to Cardinal Supich's illicit decree banning the Latin Mass on first Sundays of the month, as well as on the specific Holy Days of Obligation that he, in his announcement that he made in December, including Easter and Christmas. Some are saying that they have capitulated. I don't see an alternative hypothesis to that, unfortunately. That, though, came hot on the heels of Cardinal supich also banning Reverend Novus Ordo Masses in the Archdiocese of Chicago. No more Unicorn Masses, no more Ad Orientum, and a few other restrictions. Vigano's letter is one that all should hear, so please share this if you can. It was published over the weekend by The Remnant, Catholic Family News, as well as some outlets in Europe. I'll have links to the article online in my sources blog at returntotradition.org. That's the name of this podcast with a .org at the end. Just skip the Patreon pop-up when it pops up on the page, unless you want to become a patron of the channel. So you can read it for yourself if you want. And I'll have some thoughts on the end. And normally I don't do this many just readings of letters written by priests and public figures in the church as I have the last few days. It's just lately they've been coming hot and fast, and the vast majority of them I think people need to hear. So, that's why I've been doing this. Anyway, the letter of Archbishop Viganot. Delecta Mea about the Holy Apostolic Mass. Vigano's Message to Priests and Bishops. You who permit yourself to prohibit the Apostolic Mass, have you ever celebrated it? You who, from the height of your liturgical cathedral, are piqued about the Old Mass, have you ever meditated on its prayers, its rites, and its ancient and sacred gestures, I have asked myself this many times in the past few years, because I myself, even though I knew this Mass since I was very young, even though I had learned to serve it and respond to the celebrant when I was so little, that I was still wearing boy's trousers, I had almost forgotten it and lost it, in Troibo ad alterdea, kneeling in winter on the ice cold steps of the altar, before going to school, sweating on hot summer days under my altar boy vestments, I had forgotten that Mass even though it was the Mass of my ordination as a priest on the 24th of March, 1968, an era in which one could already perceive the signs of the revolution that shortly thereafter would deprive the Church of her most precious treasure, imposing a counterfeit ritual in its place. While that Mass, that the conciliar reform cancelled and prohibited, in my first years of priesthood remained as a distant memory, like the smile of a distant loved one, the gaze of a missing relative, the sound of a Sunday with its bells, its friendly voices, But it was something that had to do with nostalgia, youth, the enthusiasm of an era in which ecclesiastical commitments were still to come, in which everyone wanted to believe that the world could recover from the aftermath of the Second World War and the threat of communism, with a renewed spiritual momentum. We wanted to think that the economic well-being could somehow be accompanied by a moral and religious rebirth of our nation, Italy, despite the revolution of 1968, the occupations, the Red Bridge Brigades, and the crisis of the Middle East. Thus, amidst the thousand ecclesiastical and diplomatic commitments, the memory of something had crystallized in my memory that in fact remained unresolved, which had been momentarily set aside for decades, something that patiently waited, with the indulgence that only God uses towards us. My decision to denounce the scandals of American prelates and the Roman Curia was the occasion that led me back to consider, under another light, not only my role as Archbishop and as Apostolic Nuncio, but also the soul of that priesthood which, Service, first in the Vatican, and lastly in the United States, had in some way left incomplete. More for my being a priest than for the ministry. And what up until then I had not yet understood became clear to me, during an apparently unexpected circumstance. When my personal safety seemed to be endangered. I found myself, against my will, having to live almost in hiding, far from the palaces of the Curia. It was then that the blessed segregation, which today I consider as a sort of monastic choice, led me to rediscover the Holy Tridentine Mass. I recall very well the day when, instead of the chasuble, I put on the traditional vestments with the ambrosian capino and the maniple. I recall the fear that I felt in pronouncing, after almost fifty years, those prayers of the Missal that re-emerged from my mouth as if I had just recited them shortly before Confitemini domino, quonum bonus, in the place of the psalm, judicae mea, Deus of the Roman Rite. cor meum ac labia mea. These words were no longer the words of the altar boy or the young seminarian. But the words of the celebrant of i who once again i would dare say for the first time celebrated before the most holy trinity because while it is true that the priest is a person who lives essentially for others for god and for his neighbor it is equally true that if he does not have the awareness of his own identity and has not cultivated his own holiness his apostolate is sterile like the clanging cymbal. i know well that these reflections can leave those who have never had the grace of celebrating the mass of all time unmoved or even arouse condescension. But the same thing happens, I imagine, for those who have never fallen in love and who do not understand the enthusiasm and the chaste transport of the beloved towards his beloved, or for those who do not know the joy of getting lost in her eyes. The dull Roman liturgist, the prelate with his tailored clerical suit and his pectoral cross in his pocket, the consulter of the Roman congregation with the latest copy of Concilium or Civilita Cattolica in plain sight, looks at the mass of St. Pius V with the eyes of an entomologist, the science that studies insects, scrutinizing that pericope just as a naturalist observes the veins of a leaf or the wings of a butterfly. Indeed, I sometimes wonder if they don't do it with the aspicity of the pathologist who cuts open a living body with a scalpel. But if a priest with a minimum of interior life approaches the ancient mass, regardless of whether he has ever known it before, or is discovering it for the first time, he is deeply moved by the composed majesty of the right, as if he has stepped out of time and entered the eternity of God. What I would like to make my brothers in the Episcopate and the priesthood understand is that this Mass is intrinsically divine, because one perceives the sacred in a visceral way. One is literally taken up into heaven, into the presence of the Most Holy Trinity in the celestial court, far from the clamor of the world. It is a love song, in which the repetition of the signs, the reverence, the sacred words is not in any way useless, just as a mother never tires of kissing her son, or a bride never tires of saying, I love you, to her husband. Everything is forgotten there, because all that is said and sung in it is eternal. All the gestures that are performed there are perennial, outside of history, yet immersed in a continuum that unites the cenacle, Calvary, and the altar on which the Mass is celebrated, The celebrant does not address the assembly, the concern of being understandable or being nice or appearing to be up-to-date. Rather, he addresses God, and before God there is only the sense of infinite gratitude for the privilege of being able to carry with him the prayers of the Christian people, the joys and sorrows of so many souls, the sins and shortcomings of those who implore forgiveness and mercy, gratitude for graces received, and suffrages for our dear departed. One is alone, and at the same time one feels intimately united with an endless host of souls that crosses time and space. When I celebrate the Apostolic Mass, I think of how on that same altar, consecrated by the relics of the martyrs, so many saints and thousands of priests, using the same words that I say, repeated the very same gestures, making the same vows and the same genuflections, wearing the same vestments, but above all, receiving Holy Communion with the same Body and Blood of our Lord, whom we have all been assimilated in the offering of the Holy Sacrifice. When I celebrate the Mass of all time, I realize in the most sublime and complete way the true significance of what doctrine teaches us. Acting in Persona Christi is not a mechanical repetition of a formula, but the awareness that my mouth utters the same words that the Savior pronounced over the bread and wine in the senacle, that as I elevate the host and chalice to the Father, I repeat the immolation that Christ made of himself on the cross, that in receiving Holy Communion, I consume the sacrificial victim and feed on God Himself, and I am not participating in a party. And the entire church is with me, the church triumphant which deigns to unite itself to imploring prayer, the church suffering that awaits in order to shorten souls stay in purgatory, and the church militant that strengthens herself in the daily spiritual battle. But if as we profess with faith our mouth is really Christ's mouth, if our words in the consecration are really those of Christ, if the hands with which we touch the sacred host and the chalice are Christ's hands, what respect ought we to have for our body, keeping it pure and uncontaminated? What better incentive is there to remain in the grace of God? Mundamini cae fertis vasa domini. The words of the Missal, Offer al nobis casimus domine iniquitis nostris, ut ad sancte sectorum purus meramea mantabeas introar. The theologian will tell me that this is a common doctrine, and that the Mass is exactly that, regardless of the Rite. I do not deny it, rationally. But while the celebration of the Tridentine Mass is a constant reminder of an uninterrupted continuity of the work of the Redemption studded with the Saints and Blesseds, the same thing does not happen, it seems to me, with the Reformed Rite. If I look at the table versus Populum, I see there the, the Lutheran altar, or the Protestant table, if i read the words of the institution of the last supper in the form of narration i hear the modification of cranmer's common book of prayer and the service of calvin if i glance through the Reformed calendar i find the same saints who canceled the heretics of the pseudo-reform have been removed and the same is true for the songs which would horrify an english or german catholic hearing the hymns of those who martyred our priests and trampled the blessed sacrament in contempt for papist superstition Sung under the vaults of a church ought to make us understand the abyss that exists between the Catholic Mass and its conciliar counterfeit. To say nothing of the language, the first ones to abolish Latin were the heretics, in the name of giving the people a greater comprehension of the rites, a people whom they deceived. Contesting revealed truth and propagating error. Everything is profane in the Novus Ordo. Everything is momentary. Everything accidental. Everything contingent, variable, and changeable. There is nothing of the eternal, because eternity is immutable, just as the faith is immutable just as God is immutable. There is another aspect of the traditional Holy Mass that I would like to emphasize, and that unites us to the saints and martyrs of the past. Since the times of the catacombs up until the most recent persecutions, wherever a priest celebrates the Holy Sacrifice, even in an attic or an altar, or in a cellar, in the woods or in a barn, or even in a van, he is mystically in communion with the host of heroic witnesses of the faith, and the gaze of the Most Holy Trinity rests on that improvised altar, before it, all the angelic hosts genuflect adoringly. All the souls in purgatory gazed toward it. In this too, especially in this, each of us understands how the tradition creates an indissoluble link between the centuries, not only in the jealous custody of that treasure, but also in facing the trials that it entails, even unto death. In the presence of this thought, the arrogance of the present tyrant, with his insane decrees, ought to strengthen us in fidelity to Christ. And make us feel that we are an integral part of the Church at all times, because we cannot win the palm of victory if we are not ready to fight the bonum Sertertum. I would like my confrères to dare to do the unthinkable. I would like them to approach the Holy Tridentine Mass not so as to be pleased with the lace of an alb or with the embroidery of a chasuble, or because of a mere rational conviction about its canonical legitimacy, or about the fact that it has never been abolished, but rather with the reverential fear. With which Moses approached the burning bush, knowing that each one of us, upon coming down from the altar after the last gospel, is in some way interiorly transfigured, because there he has encountered the Holy of Holies. It is only there, on that mystical Sinai, that we can understand the very essence of our priesthood, which is the giving of oneself to God above all, an oblation of all of himself together with Christ the victim. For the greater glory of God and the salvation of souls, a spiritual sacrifice which draws strength and vigor from the Mass, self-renunciation in order to make way for the High Priest, a sign of true humility in the annihilation of one's own will and abandonment to the will of the Father, following the Lord's example, a gesture of authentic communion with the saints, in the sharing of the same profession of faith and the same rite, And I would like not only those who have celebrated the Novus Ordo for decades to have this experience, but above all, the young priests and those who carry out their ministry in the front line. The Mass of St. Pius V is for indomitable spirits, for generous and heroic souls, for hearts burning with charity for God and one's neighbor. I know well that the life of the priest today is made up of a thousand trials, of stress, of the feeling of being alone in the fight against the world, in the disinterest and ostracism of superiors, a slow wear and tear that distracts from recollection, from the interior life, and from spiritual growth. And I know very well that this feeling of being under siege, of finding oneself as a sailor who is alone and has to pilot a ship through a storm, is not the prerogative of traditionalists or progressives but is the common destiny of all those who have offered their lives to the lord and to the church each with their own miseries with economic problems misunderstandings with the bishop criticisms from their confreres as well as the requests of the faithful and also those hours of solitude in which the presence of god and the companionship of the virgin mary seem to vanish just as in the dark night of saint john of the cross camay repulsiti et care turistis incendo Dom affigit me enemicus when the demon wins insidiously between the internet and the television, taking advantage of our weariness by betrayal. In those cases what we all face, just as our Lord did in Gethsemane, it is our priesthood that Satan wants to strike, preventing himself persuasively like Shalom before Herod, asking us for the gift of the Baptist head, homini Iniquio et Doloso Erumea. In the trial we are all the same because the victory that the enemy wants to win is not only over the poor souls of the baptized, but over Christ the priest, whose anointing we carry. For this reason, today, more than ever, the Holy Tridentine Mass is the sole anchor of salvation of the Catholic priesthood, because in it the priest is reborn each day, in that privileged time of intimate union with the Blessed Trinity, and from it he draws indispensably graces so as not to fall into sin, to progress along the way of holiness, and to rediscover the healthy balance with which to face his ministry. Anyone who believes that all this can be liquidated as a mere ceremonial or aesthetic question has not understood anything about his own priestly vocation, because the Holy Mass of all time, and it truly is this, just as it has always been opposed by the adversary, is not an obliging lover who offers herself to anyone, but rather a jealous and chaste bride, as jealous as the Lord is. Do you want to please God or the one who keeps you away from him? The question at its root is always this, the choice between the gentle yoke of Christ and the adversary's chains of servitude. The response will appear clear and limpid to you in the moment in which you too, marveling at this immense treasure that is being kept hidden from you, discover what it means to celebrate the holy sacrifice, not as pathetic presiders of the assembly, but rather as ministers of Christ and dispensers of the mystery of God. See First Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 pick up the missile, ask for help from a priest friend, and ascend the mountain of the Transfiguration. Like Peter, James, and John, you will exclaim, Domine Bonum es nos hic es. Lord, is it good that we are here? See Matthew chapter 17, verse 4. Or with the words of the psalmist that the celebrant repeats at the Offertory, Domine de lexi decorum domus tua, et locum habitosianis gloria tua. Once you have discovered it, no one will be able to take away from you that through which the Lord no longer calls you servants but friends. See John chapter 15, verse 15. No one will ever be able to convince you to renounce it, forcing you to be content with its adulteration that was brought forth by rebellious minds. For once you were darkness, but now you are in the the light of the Lord. Walk then as children of the light. See the letter to the Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Wherefore, he says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall enlighten you. See the letter to the Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Signed, Carlo Maria Viganò, Archbishop, on the 2nd of January, 2022. Like I said at the start, Viganò's letter comes amid the banning of the Mass in Chicago. But it isn't limited to Chicago. Every year since 1993, on the 21st of January, a Mass is said in the memory of and for the repose of the soul of King Louis XVI. It is said in the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Strasbourg, and it is always said in the traditional form of the liturgy. It has since been banned starting this year by the bishop, and so the SSPX in that area are picking up the duty to say that Mass in Europe. But this is the aim of the modernists in Rome, to push the faithful into the overburdened arms of the SSPX, and to leave most of the priests trained in the traditional forms of the liturgy and sacraments without a place to go. We see this now virtually everywhere, and it's only going to get worse as we head towards Easter. As other outlets have reported, the Church is losing its identity and its soul. What we are seeing here is a war for the heart and soul of the faith, of the Church, and Vigano's call is for the bishops and priests of the Roman Rite to recognize that and to rediscover the heart and soul of Catholicism. The time is now to do so, before it is too late. What did you think of this letter? Let me know in the comments, please, and like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.